I've selected Mark chapter 5 in keeping with this particular matter. You may have said to yourself, you know, when we talk about sharing the gospel and telling others, somebody's probably saying, I just can't do that. I'm just not a person that is qualified to do that. And, you know, when you talk about soul winning and helping other people know what God wants for their lives. That takes a a fellow that's kind of religiously argumentative. He knows how to use the arguments. He knows what's going to be uh, set up for him and how to answer that. Or it takes a person who really knows a lot of Bible uh, to do that. And uh, it takes a super sales kind of person, you know. That's what we're thinking. We think, I could never be that. I, I just am not a person that has a lot of abilities to talk and reason with people and talk to them about the Bible. I'm certainly not a salesperson that could tell other people about the Word of God and encourage them from the standpoint. I really want to do that, but I just, I just am not that kind of person. Well, let me take you to the pages of the Bible today for a brief moment and give you an example of a person who was by no means a religiously trained person. Or was he a super sales kind of guy that he could really clinch the deal and sell people on this matter? You'll find him in Mark chapter 5. And in Mark chapter 5, he's certainly a, a different kind of convert. He's a very unusual convert, so I'm encouraging you to turn to Mark chapter 5, and I'm going to read just a few selections out of this section of the Bible and encourage you to follow along with me. In Mark chapter 5 and 2, And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. I wish I knew more about demon possession, that whereby the demons would take over individuals' lives and overwhelm them. There's just a little window of time in Bible history where that took place. Night and day was this way. Now I'm in verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Isn't that a strange thing to say to Jesus. I've read in the pages of the Bible how that people would meet Jesus and talk to Jesus and greet him in various ways, but this certainly is a strange way to meet the Savior. By verse 8, for he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. You know, I wish I knew more about that. Uh, It's got to be a bad thing. Now a great herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside, verse 11. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. That's amazing to me. 
life must be bad as a demon to want to go live in the pigs rather than go back where you came from. It must be bad. Um, Maybe that should cause us to think about that place where they came from. If they don't want to be there and they would rather be in the pigs, you know, I don't want to be there. And I know my friends don't want to be there. My family doesn't want to be there. So he gave them permission. Verse 13. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank, all the sea, into the sea, and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was all about, what happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. What you have there is a changed man. That man, his life has changed altogether. Those, verse 16, who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, And they began to beg Jesus to part from their region. They didn't want Jesus. They wanted Jesus to live, to leave. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. Verse 18 is unusual. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He wanted to go with Jesus. But what did Jesus tell him to do in now our text And he did not permit him to put, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Isn't that an unusual individual? A man who's filled with demons and now Jesus had changed his life. And I think that verse 19, that verse 20 may be the key to it. You know, go and tell those people what I have done for you. Tell them I have had mercy on you. And he did that. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis. That's on the other side of the Jordan. Went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Do you think you could do that? Could you go and tell people how much Jesus has done for you? You have a very unlikely kind of soul winner here. He's not trained in argumentation and debate. He's not trained in the scriptures. He's not a super sales guy with all kinds of closing skills. But he can go tell people what Jesus has done for him. And he did. And they listened. And they marveled at what took place. How Christ had changed his life. Can you tell the people what Jesus has done for you? How Jesus has made forgiveness of sin possible for me. What a great thing to be able to tell people. I've been freed from the guilt and shame of sin. Was there sin in my life? Absolutely. I'm now a Christian. And how great that is to be a child of God. I can tell people I'm a member of a congregation of Christian people who love the Lord and love one another. 
that I now live in hope, a confident expectation to receive the blessings that God has promised, that blessing of eternal life and heaven with God forever and ever. Just how great it is to know the truth and understand the Word of God and be able to mention to them how important. You know what a great thing it is to pray to God. Isn't that great? Look what God's done for me. Because of listening to the Word of God, somebody took the time to tell me and instruct me. And I studied and I learned and I realized I want to be a Christian. Look what Christ has done for me. That when I pillow my head at night, I close my eyes and my thoughts turn to the Lord. And I can express my sincere desire. Lord, please forgive me of my sins as I repent of them. I have the avenue of prayer. Isn't it a great thing that we can come together and worship God and know that we're doing it the way God has prescribed in the Scripture? We're doing it the way the ancient Christians did in the New Testament times. And what a wonderful blessing it is to serve God, to come and worship Him. And as we were sitting here and singing and we're praying, Lord, please accept my worship. May it come from the depth of my heart and not from the roof of my mouth. May it come deep down with inside me, O Lord, how that I praise you and glorify your great name. What a wonderful thing it is to be able to do that. We do that every first day of the week, and we come on Sunday night, and we worship and study on Wednesday nights, and many times we'll have special programs or gospel meetings and things of that sort where we come together and worship and study What a great thing it is to be able to serve other people. Not to always think about myself and accumulating more and more as if there's some kind of happiness in the accumulation of things. But now I can help people. I can serve people with a purpose and with a plan. It's a great thing to be able to tell people what Christ has done for me. And you can say it to them because of what he's done for you. Here's a man that was filled with demons. And when Christ cast those demons out, he was a changed man. He wanted to go with Christ. But Christ said, no, you go tell. You go tell your friends. You go tell your neighbors how that I've had mercy on you, Christ said. And he did. And they listened. And I just wonder how many people's lives were changed because this man went about that. There's a word for this. The word is called conversion. And I'd like to go to 1 Thessalonians for the, uh, the scriptural text for this. I think the word is found here in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 9 and 10. You may want to mark this passage in your Bible and go back and read it when you have the opportunity. I'm in this New Testament verse, 1 Thessalonians 1, and the verse is verse 9. And what I'm going to focus on is the fact that they had turned, they had been converted. For they themselves, speaking of the church at Thessalonica, report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead, that's the resurrection, you see. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's a comforting thought, that I'm going to be delivered from the wrath to come. 
But the focus for the present is that matter of turning and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's a conversion. They had turned. They had turned from what could not help them to what could help them. They had turned from false gods to the true and living God. You have a good definition of the term conversion there. It is a turning away. And that's what we're talking about. We're trying to help people to turn away from lies and to turn to the truth so that they too can be a people of our Heavenly Father and they too can enjoy this, enjoy this wonderful family the Bible calls the church and they too can have the focus and purpose of life that God wants them to have and that they too can have a future life with God which God desires for each and every one of us. Now here's a great verse of the Bible that I hope that we can think about just for a minute. And I think it will fit into the very point that we're trying to make, that you can work in this way and I can work in this way, and we're trying to provide an opportunity and training to help us all along this particular matter. The passage I'm thinking about is in Acts chapter 26. And for brevity's sake, I'll just begin the reading at about verse 15, but I really want to focus on verse 18, and that's the point that you see before you. And as I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, this is the third time you read about the conversion. That's our word, you see, that we've studied about the Apostle Paul. It occurs in chapter 9 of Acts and in chapter 22 of Acts, and here in chapter 26. But I go to chapter 26 because there's a piece of detail here that chapter 9 and chapter 22 do not give us. We have new material here, something that I want to understand. But rise and stand upon your feet, the Lord says to Saul, for I have appeared unto you for the purpose to anoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And here's the point. It's in verse 18. The purpose. Why? Why do this? To open their eyes so that they may, here it is, turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive what? Forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The Bible passage that I'm reading is Acts chapter 26, and I'm focusing on verse 18. And I'm looking at this as a great purpose statement which the Lord gave to Saul. Why do you want me to do this? <clears throat> and it is found in this particular passage. It's not found in Acts chapter 9 when Paul discusses that, and Luke records that. And it's not found in Acts chapter 22 where Paul accounts once again his conversion, and Luke records the matter. But it is found in Acts chapter 26. And it talks about this great purpose, to open their eyes, means to teach them so that they will understand. To open the eyes or to close the eyes is an old Bible way of saying they will not hear. Their eyes are closed. Or they have heard or they will hear. Their eyes are open. They are receptive. And so Jesus tells to Saul of Tarsus, one day to become the Apostle Paul, 
Your purpose is going to be to open men's eyes and to change them, turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive the forgiveness of their sins. You know, there's a lot of problems that we face in this world, but the greatest problem we face is sin. I have read many times of an old preacher by the name of J.W. McGarvey. As I call him an old preacher, I do not do him justice, though that's one of the greatest compliments I could give another individual that he's a faithful gospel preacher. McGarvey was a textual critic, one of the very few that we've had in the brotherhood. By textual critic, I simply mean a man who could read the manuscripts and understand the manuscripts and consider the great words, whether this word meant that or this word meant the other. And he was one of those great Bible scholars, and he wrote a book of sermons. And I used to collect all of J.W. McGarvey's sermons, and I would give them to young preachers and He was just an insightful writer about the Bible, about the Word of God. Over a hundred years ago, 1893, McGarvey, in his book of sermons, wrote this, and I was so impressed with it, I wrote it down, and now I share the quote with you for the present. This is J.W. McGarvey. I have prepared sermons designed to set forth the enormity of sin. But I have every time felt that I have made a failure. I can amen that. I understand his feeling on that. The pleasures of sin have blinded our eyes to its enormity. The journey of human life is strewn with tears. The whole earth on which we live has become dotted over with graveyards. The word of God tells us that all of this woe, pain, Sorrow and death results from sin. I wrote that particular matter down. I thought, I want to remember that. Because he's so right on the money there with what the Bible is saying. When Jesus came preaching, Matthew 4 and 23, he came preaching the kingdom of God. That men would repent of their sins. Now, I heard another preacher not too long ago. He was being interviewed by Larry King, a very popular preacher. Uh, He's one that has a tremendous following. And Larry King is asking him questions about how he preaches and how he gets such a following. And he tells them, I never tell them about sin. We never talk about sin. I want people to be happy. And I want people to be happy about themselves. And I want them to go away from the building happy about the matter. And if we tell them about sin and all of the problems that sin brings about in their life, they're not going to be happy and they're not going to go away feeling fulfilled because of what they heard and for that reason. I never talk about sin. Can you see the difference in the approach between this preacher, J.W. McGarvey, over a hundred years ago, and the preacher that you see today who's very popular and on television, and many, many people follow him? 
If I were to go to the doctor and I had cancer, and cancer is a terrible thing, isn't it? I wouldn't want the doctor to say, now, I'm not going to bring up anything about that. I want you to be happy. And I want you to feel good about yourself. And I hope that you'll go from this office today feeling satisfied and come back. What I want the doctor to do is tell me, what is my problem? I want to know what the problem is so that I can deal with it. Let's get together and deal with this problem. Tell me exactly what the problem is and help me deal with it. Help me do something about this problem. And that's the doctor I want to go to who'll be honest and straightforward with me and tell me, well, this is what what you have. This is the Here are the uh, situations that we can go through. But I have good news for you today. Cancer doesn't have a cure. But sin's got a cure. The greatest problem that you and I face has got a cure. And the cure is the blood of Jesus Christ, the gospel of our Lord and Savior. When you repent of your sins and confess your faith in Christ and are baptized into the water and blood of Christ, you receive forgiveness of sin, and the greatest problem of your life has been solved. But it has to be done God's way. I can't do it my way, you can't do it your way. We have to come to God on God's terms doing it His way, and the cure is there. And part of our problem is we just don't see the enormity of the problem. We have just blinded our eyes to the world in which we live and enjoying the world in which we live so much so that we do not see how enormous the problem really is, but it's the greatest enemy we've got. It destroys our soul and our eternity. But it's got a cure. Obedience to the gospel of Christ. Can I tell somebody about that? Can I help somebody see that? Can I open up the pages of the Bible and say, look what the Lord has said for your life, what he's done for your life. Is there something you can do to be involved in that? This is what we do. Help people see the enormity of sin and God's cure for it so that you can receive forgiveness of sin And live with God forever and ever. Isn't that great? To come to an assembly like this of people who've done that. I look out in this assembly here and I see people who've been baptized. People who've repented their sins. People dedicating their life to God and life to Christ. They serve each other. They help one another. Don't you want to be a part of that? You want your family to be a part of that? Doing it the way the Bible teaches, do it then I urge you to come to the gospel of Christ today. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.